Terry Crosby. Andy Steiger. Steve Kim. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for coming again and uh, joining us for another week. Uh, Steve's in the house. Andy's in the house again. We are together. Good to be here social distancing with you on podcast. Yes, sir. Great to be with you. So in Canada, we've had a quarantine act that came on March 25th. So we're we're into it about 22 days, less than a month of people having to be quarantined. I'm going to get a t-shirt at the end of this. (laughs) I survived a pandemic yeah. or uh, I heart quarantine. Yeah. Although I don't know if the, <laughs> I don't know how much I've enjoyed quarantine. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, uh, Jimmy Fallon started a hashtag. I don't know if you've seen this. No, I haven't. I knew I had cabin fever when. <laughs> so he started this a little while ago. He says, I whispered to my hand sanitizer. You're like a son to me. <laughs> But there's a lot of people chiming in on this. One said, I started Googling ways to break out of prison. (laughs) (laughs) I finally read the terms and conditions. (laughs) Uh, Another one. I watched the entire season of The West Wing on Netflix, but watched it through my neighbor's living room window. We all enjoyed it. (laughs) Classic. Uh, the office theme song started to annoy me. Uh. <laughs> Is that right? Oh man. Um, I started working out at 2 a.m. for no particular reason. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you guys had your own personal? Uh, not, I'm not feeling too, too squirrely right now yet. Yeah. yeah. I've been able to just get out and bike and stuff. So I, yeah. I, I had my own personal one the other day. We had some people drop by to give, uh, my wife, uh, a, a birthday present is her, her birthday. Yeah. And, uh, and you're just, you're talking with people, you know, we're keeping our distance in our yard, but I notice I'm like, okay, clearly I've got cabin fever. Cause you know, normally when people drop by, you're like, okay, you can, you can go. Now. <laughs> you know? Right. I want to go back to whatever I was doing, right, right. but I, but I was thinking the exact opposite. Could you just stay a little longer? <laughs> Let's like, set up some chairs. Yeah. <laughs> I just need sad. to talk. <laughs> uh, one last one. I knew I had cabin fever when I, just kidding. I'm an introvert. I never had cabin fever. That'd be me. There's some there's some people that, you know, quite enjoy this, I think. And then others, yes, like us that are gonna be a little squirrely. Now there there has been plenty of Netflix watching, iTunes downloading, I'm sure, definitely in the Steiger house. And one of the thoughts that we had was hey, listen, if you're looking for something to watch and you want uh, some commentary on it, as those of you who've followed us, you know, we periodically will watch TV shows and movies and uh, give our, our two cents. We were asked by a couple people, actually, to watch and to comment on Parasite, a movie that actually won Film of the Year. A number of awards. They actually won a lot of awards, yeah. Yeah, yeah they won the uh, Golden Leaf at the Cannes Film Festival and they won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. And I believe that was the first non-English film to win Best Picture of the yeah. Year at the Academy. They also won Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best International Feature Film. That is pretty amazing. And now one that you haven't mentioned on top of all that is 
this is as well, Steve, the the first Korean yes. film to win as well. And I mean, these were yeah. some huge awards yeah. in and of themselves, but then for a Korean film, obviously, these are all record-breaking as well. Now, given the topic of the film and given that it's set in South Korea, and in fact, it, it, it's in Korean, so you, you need to, to read the subtitles, mm-hmm. uh, people were really intrigued to know, you know, given the work that we've done on dehumanization, humanization, given the work uh, that we even did when we went to South Korea and some of the filming we did, and then that, Steve, you're from South Korea. Yeah. We've had different people for the last couple months actually asking, hey, would you uh, weigh in on this film? And so we had nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. Quarantined right, right. at home. So yeah. we thought, well, let's pay five bucks. Let's pay five bucks. <laughs> watch yeah. it. Yeah, watch this film and uh, yeah. get some thoughts. I had no idea what this was about. So ne- neither did I. I went in, I went in totally blind. Totally blind. I hadn't Absolutely. even seen the preview. No. I saw a picture. <laughs> that, that's all I saw. A picture of people's faces with black across the eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's it. And I got to say, watching it, uh, I think that we need to make some disclaimers because I, I didn't even look that it was rated R. So just throwing it out there, Terry has I did like he didn't know that either. <laughs> no, I did not. Yeah, so just going to throw this out there. Listen, the movie is rated R. There is some foul language, but however, it, it is subtitled, so you could choose not to read those foul words. How <laughs> <laughs> did that? Yeah. Okay. Try there there wasn't. How. There wasn't too many. Yeah. Well, I got I got the full color of it because I understand Korean, so I, I actually barely looked at the subtitles. But then I was just like, well, yeah, I, I don't know, know which is the whole worse. Time. Steve, he can understand all of this. He doesn't have to look at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, and we'll get into that in a moment. I'm looking forward to hearing about that, Steve. There is one sex scene that doesn't really show too much. However, it is a little much. So my wife and I fast forwarded through that. And then there is some violence, particularly at the end. Definitely not a film that I would watch with my children. So besides giving you just the a warning of, you know, that there is some graphic stuff in the film, just also wanted to put it out there that this is a bit of a spoiler alert. If you don't want to hear anything about the film, we're going to encourage you to come back to this podcast However, if you just want to know a little bit about the film going in, then you can listen to the beginning of this podcast, and we'll tell you later when you should turn it off because it'll be a full-out spoiler alert. So warning you now as we get into this conversation. Wanted to put that out there. One of the things that caught me off guard I wasn't expecting is it's a dark humor. Black comedy, they call it. Black comedy thriller. Yeah, which is which is unique. I, I yeah. can't say I've watched too many of those. Yeah, yeah. But I found this movie really quite fascinating. Now- I've got lots of stuff to say, but people are going to be more interested in what you have to say, Steve. So let's begin by, you know, being somebody who speaks the language and understands that culture and the the context of it. Give me some of your impressions as you were watching this movie. Yeah, um, the very prominent theme there is obviously this dynamic between different socioeconomic classes, right? So you have somebody... A family that comes from really impoverished kind of a place in Seoul, and then can I have... just pause you there for a moment? Yeah, because I think we need to highlight that this family's last name is Kim. Can I? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the Kim family. Can we just note that for a moment? Yeah, the name Kim is the most common surname in Korea, 
And so it is said that if you go to a really busy park or something like that, pick up a pebble and throw it, and you've got a good 23 point, I don't know, 7% or something like that chance of hitting a Kim. So Now, I can tell you that it, you can go even a step further than that. When mm-hmm. Steve and I were in South Korea, the guy at the hotel that was helping us, his name wasn't just Kim, but Steve, Steve Kim. Kim. Yeah, <laughs> uh, not exactly the most uh, unique funny. name. Can you explain one thing to me? Yeah. Like when they they show the names mm-hmm. as the actors, mm-hmm. they put Kim at the beginning. I, I'm just clueless here, probably. Oh, and that's same a good point. with that's a good point. Park. Park. That's the other name of the other family, the Rich family. It's yeah, at the beginning yeah, yeah. of the name. Can you explain that to me? Because I have no idea. Yeah, so here we have our family names at the end, right? So we call it the last name. Um, By here, you mean Canada. Yeah, here Canada, America, the West in general. In the East, you usually have it in front. So I remember when I was filling out the documentation for the immigration visa for Canada, I remember being really confused because it asked for my first name, and I thought it meant my family name. So often you'll see, whether whether you look up like Wikipedia or something like that, often you'll see their family names in the front because that seems to be sort of where we're headed these days is in these different kinds of encyclopedias and things like that. People are trying to stick to the original ordering of the names. So that can be a real source of confusion. But um, for our listeners, if you're not very familiar with how Korean names are written, it's usually a single syllable for your family name right at the beginning. And then your given name is usually two syllables. So in the movie, you'll see the Kim family. Their names are Gitek, Giwoo, Gijang, Chungsuk, two syllables. Rarely, you'll see a single syllable given name. And then even more rarely, three syllables. But those are very, very rare. But uh, that's typically how it works. A single syllable for your family name, two syllables for your given name. Interesting. So continue on here in this film. So this movie revolves around this dynamic between two socioeconomic classes. So you have the Kim family that comes, you know, they're very impoverished. They live in this semi-basement, which is a very common living arrangement in Korea, especially in the sort of the more poor areas, right? And and I remember um, when my family... Before we moved to Canada, so we made this arrangement where we sold our house and the new family that moved in allowed us to live in the basement of our old house until we were ready to move out. So we went down to the basement, we set it all up. Um, now, when when you think basement in Korea, it's not like the basement here in Canada where you know you have your carpet floors and everything. In our case, it was just all concrete and we actually had to make it homey so that's the sort of the setting that you can imagine which i think is really interesting by the way that we are reviewing this film at this time because in many ways i think this social commentary is quite informative in the midst of a pandemic as you see in the film they're going to weather challenges different you know the wealthy are going to go through things in much simpler easier than the impoverished are. They're gonna, the impoverished are going to have much more difficulty. And it's been interesting in the news lately that we've been seeing in the midst of this pandemic, you know, you've got the super wealthy that are just weathering the pandemic on their mega yacht. Or uh, Madonna was recently criticized for, there's this video of her in her bathtub talking about how difficult, you know, this pandemic is. 
<laughs> with flower petals in her bathtub and whatnot. And you're just like, you know, come on. Oh, so also Ellen DeGeneres as well, talking about being in prison. And they're like, yeah, you're imprisoned in one of your mansions. And so it's been interesting to kind of see, we've got our own social commentary that's been coming out in the midst of this pandemic. Now, with regards to this movie, Steve, you and I have, have been following this social commentary that's been going on in South Korea for a number of years now. And I couldn't help but think back to when we were in South Korea and yeah. the taxi driver was talking to us. I'm sure you thought the same thing mm-hmm. uh, as we're watching the, the movie because we're with this taxi driver. And you have to understand, Steve and I are in South Korea filming with Power to Change, this video that we were creating with part of the Human Project. And this guy has no idea why we're there. And he just, this taxi driver is just taking us to this location that we're filming at. And he just starts talking with us. He has no idea, again, what we're filming on. And then he just tells Steve. and, And one of the things that you know, the taxi driver was getting at, and this film really gets out of this critique, is that literally the, the taxi driver is saying, in South Korea, we have begun to view each other as competition and no longer, you know, as human beings. We've, we've reduced each other just to competition. And this is an interesting critique in the film, is that, you know, you use your connections to the best of your ability, right, to be able to get a foothold into the culture And from what I understand, Steve, in South Korean culture, this is a major issue is that the wealthy stay wealthy, right? And the poor stay poor. And then a lot of this is about you helping out, you know, your brother, sister, aunt, uncle, right? That this is the way that you help people to get ahead in life. And it's also how you keep people down and in the midst of, you know, really seeing each other's competition, which comes out very clearly in the film. So in Korea, I mean, it's such an honor-shame culture, right? I mean, it's being westernized more and more. But the fact of the matter is there is still that very significant undertone of honor and shame. And your wealth is very closely tied to that uh, because it's such a collectivistic kind of a culture. Again, they're becoming westernized more, becoming more individualistic, but it's still very much a collectivistic kind of a culture. It's you know always one for all. That's more prominent than all for one. And so it's all about your social context that's important, who you know. One of the things that the director talks about that I think is really interesting about what we're getting at here with regards to the social classes is that in creating the film, he plays off of stairs. You also see him playing off of streets as well. And it's interesting because in Korea, there are lots of steep streets uh, that are there especially in Seoul, and a lot of these stairways. And so these stairways become this metaphor that he plays off of between, you know, the different social classes and the difficulty of getting up these stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so every time you see people going up the stairs, it's very symbolic of them gaining that social mobility and going up the chains, right? So when Giyu, the son in the Kim family, gets hired by this wealthy Park family as an English tutor for their daughter, you see him going up the stairs, up to her room, and you see a lot of that. And she's in the mom's in front of him. Yeah. You know, which is all very symbolic. Because at first you're watching and and you're like, man, they're really holding on this shot Mm -hmm. of this stairway walking. Yeah. And then as you start to 
see the film unfold, you're like, oh, this is quite symbolic. And then what happens is the whole Kim family starts kind of conning the wealthy Park family to get hired by them, right? And so they take on fake identities to get hired by them. But then their plan starts to go awry. And then there's this big torrential downpour and they're escaping from the Park family residence. But then what you see is they're coming down the stairs, down the stairs, down the stairs into their down home. Down the streets. Yeah. yeah, down the streets. Down you the know. streets to their semi-basement home, which is now all completely flooded, you know, that sort of a thing. And so the stairways were very much a symbol of your social status, social mobility in particular. Now, this is a great moment in the film that I thought th- this is beautifully portrayed in this metaphor of the wealthy weathering the storm. And again, I think this has a lot that we see happening with amidst this pandemic. You see the wealthy weathering the storm just fine. And in fact, the mom makes a comment about how nice the rain is. And she was so glad there, there was this torrential downpour because it, you know, it cleans the air and whatnot. And the, in the meantime, you know, the Kim family's entire house was submerged in sewage. There's this great shot where the girl is sitting on the toilet seat trying to keep the sewage from just shooting all over the house as she's like, you know, scrolling her phone or whatever, having a cigarette. And so you really get this divide between the classes portrayed quite vividly. And I, I, it was an impressive scene. I have no idea how they filmed it. Oh, I can actually tell you a little bit more about the later because I looked into some things there. But uh, but one scene that I found was very interesting was that juxtaposition between the Kim family and the Park family and where they were after that flooding happened, right? So the Kim family, they're now, along with their neighbors and everyone, they're sleeping in this huge gym all together, right? Because they have nowhere else to go. And then the next morning, the government workers come and they're handing out clothes. And there's this yelling, shoving, it's a total chaos just to get this piece of clothing. And then there's the Park family, this the mother in the house, right? She's going into her huge walk-in closet all by herself in peace and quiet. And she just picks out one that she wants to wear for her son's birthday party. And it's just a really uh, stark contrast between the impoverished and the wealthy. Now, that whole place where the Kim family, they live, um, apparently, according to the director, like he at first didn't anticipate just how much water would be involved, right? But then as things went on, he realized, okay, water's going to be a very significant thing in this movie. So he built the entire neighborhood that street and the shops and everything inside a big water tank. That's how they filmed it. Yeah, so the stairs, and then they had some blue screen in the back for some other distant backdrop kind of thing, and then they put a lot of work into it. Not only that, they even created backstories for all of the characters, even the ones that you don't really see much about, like the guy who keeps peeing in front of their house. So funny. <laughs> the director gave him a whole backstory. Yeah, so very, very meticulously executed. Before we continue, a message from Andy. Hi, everyone. This is Andy Steiger. I wanted to let you know that the 10th Annual Apologetics Canada Conference was a great success and that the conference recordings are now available. The recordings not only have all the sessions from the conference, including all the breakout sessions, but some bonus material as well. We have included a special class that Daryl Bach taught for us and Wesley Huff about how we got the Bible and can we trust the Bible. 
To purchase and download the recordings, go to apologeticscanada.com. And now, back to the podcast. There was one other object that I found very fascinating, and it played out after his friend gave it to him, and it was that rock. Yeah. So I need some explanation on this, because I didn't really realize how significant it was, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the fact that young people today do not give rocks like this to others, correct? Yeah, that's true. And if you... so. For our listeners, when the movie starts out, uh, one of the first things that happens is the Kim family's son, Kiyu, Kiyu has a friend named Min who's actually quite rich, and he just kind of drops by at their semi-basement home and gives the family a gift. He pulls out this huge rock that this other wealthy family, the grandfather collects rocks like these. And there are some superstitions that are linked to it about how this stone represents, you know, accumulation of wealth and things like that. And right away, the viewers see that as, okay, now this is going to be a symbol. You recognize that right away, right? And that symbol, that rock, you see it repeatedly throughout the movie, and it creates this motif that this is now Gyu's maybe not obsession with wealth, but that's what he's shooting for. Maybe aspiration might be a better word, right? Aspiration for wealth, and it just keeps playing out. Which, by the by the way, there's a great scene of this playing out in the gym after their place has been flooded, and there's this conversation that takes place between him and his father. But you see the stone on his chest. Like sleeping with it. He's sleeping yeah, yeah. with it, but yet at the same time, you see that it's got this weight to it. And he's starting to appreciate there's this weight to it that as everything starts to unravel, this weight's kind of sitting there. And and the dad, you know, is talking to him about how, you know, it's better just to not have a plan in life. Just let it unfold because, you know, you'll be less disappointed or whatever. Yeah. And so I actually tracked the stone throughout the movie. And so basically it's first given by Gyu's rich friend Min. And then, remember, Gyu starts infiltrating the wealthy Park family, right? Gets hired on by the tutor, and the Kim family is kind of celebrating, you know, eating meat kind of thing in their basement home. But then, again, the father realizes, much to the family's chagrin, the guy is peeing outside again, and they can all see this, right? And they're really ticked off by it. Gyu actually grabs the rock as if he's going to hurt this guy with it. And so it's symbolic of now he is starting to get this taste of this wealth coming this way, and he is starting to climb up the social ladder. And then when the the plan starts to go awry, when the plan is in jeopardy, and they come back to their flooded semi-basement home, Gyu actually finds the viewing rock in the flooded home as he just kind of bumps into it, and he's hanging onto it and is looking at this, right? And then... Like you said, Andy, you see him clutching onto it in the gym as he's sleeping with everybody, all the neighbors there. And his dad says, why Why are you hugging that thing? And he says, it just keeps following me. And then later, I won't give away any huge spoilers, but actually this stone is used against him to hurt him, right? And then at the end, uh, some measure of peace is restored when Kiyu actually throws that rock out and places it in this creek, 
it's very symbolic and there's a motif throughout the whole this is used as a motif throughout the whole thing and i thought it was very well done that rock was a very significant piece uh, I think it's at this juncture that we should probably give a, a spoiler alert. We're going to go deeper into this film. And at this point, we're going to give away some some major aspects of the, uh, of, of the film that is going to spoil it for those of you that are going to watch it. So either come back to the podcast or continue on. And uh, But you should go watch it. Honestly, you should go watch it. it oh, was- like, I mean, all... All three of us so immensely enjoyed it. It was such a well-done film. Very I hadn't well had so much fun watching a movie like that in a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. So I want to go back to the stare motif. One of the things that I really like about this film is at first you think it's only two families that you're interacting with as the stairs go up and down. But then you begin to realize, and, and by the way, in some ways, I think you could have called this film Cockroach. Parasite is, to me, not quite as good. I was kind of curious okay. on that, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, because in the movie, they talk more about cockroaches, and there's this really pivotal moment yeah. when the Kim family is in the park home, and they're getting drunk together, and they're celebrating. They're in this house, but yet the mom says, yeah, but... You know, somebody could turn the lights on. You know, the family could come home and turn the lights on, and you, we would all scatter. You know, well, like I think, cockroaches. I think the title of the film, "Parasite." I mean, really. I mean, the family that lives downstairs in the rich home. You find out eventually, they're living off literally the rich family. Yeah. Right. No, oh, and same thing with the Kim family too. Yeah. Right? So, so here's basically how it's set up. When you watch the movie, usually you have your beginning, middle, end, right? But in this movie, it almost looks like it's got two stories that are connected. And a really pivotal point comes, like Andy mentioned, was when this family, the Kim family. So basically, what happened is they all get hired on by the wealthy Park family, every single one of them. And they're all pretending to be strangers that just happen to know each other. Okay, let me introduce you to this guy as the driver and it's the father that gets hired on. Let me introduce you to uh, this girl, you know, like the friend of a friend who's an art major from Michigan State University or something like that. Uh, and then eventually the mother gets hired on too. Now the in doing that, they also got the former employees fired. And the hardest one to do that with was the housekeeper who was already there. Um, now, the housekeeper, the former housekeeper, served the family that first built this house. It wasn't the Park family. It was a very well-known, prestigious architect that first built it. And she served them they actually got the new family, Park family, to hire this housekeeper lady. And so she actually stayed on longer than the Park family did. And so they, but they, the Kim family manages to get this lady fired. Now, going back to that scene where the Kim family is in this house, the Park family has gone on a camping trip. So they're basically having fun, right? The cats come out to play, right? When the dogs are away kind of thing. Or, and, or the cockroaches come out to eat. Or something like that, right? And then here's the really pivotal point, the doorbell. The doorbell rings. And from that point on, the second sort of half of the story starts to unfold. And when they answer the door, turns out it's the former housekeeper lady 
who says, oh, I just really, I got kicked out in such a hurry. I left something very important in the basement and I like to come and get it. So they let her in. And, and this scene, this actually really terrified me. Remember that scene where, you know, she's got this peach allergies. And so her face is all disfigured because the Kim family gave all the, like the, fuzz from the peach on her and or whatever to get her really sick kind of thing that's how she got kicked out and so her face is all disfigured she's all wet because of the downpour outside she comes in and she's about to go downstairs and the chung suk the mom from the kim family asks so what's what's even down there anyway and this lady turns around with this really weird smile she's like want to come down with me i was just like i was just about ready to pee my pants because <laughs> this is like alfred hitchcock stuff right and then they eventually find out that there is this bunker that had been built. A lot of wealthy families, it is we're told, would build these bunkers in case North Koreans come and, and start attacking South Korea or whatever. But the Park family didn't know that this existed, whereas this former housekeeper lady did. She hadn't told the Park family. Instead, what she did was she brought her husband to live in that basement for four and a half years. He was living down there and she would feed him from time to time, so on and so forth. So like Terry said, it's not just two families, the Kims and Parks. There's the Kims and Parks. And then there's also this other third family that's there. One of my favorite parts of the movie, and it's a little creepy too, is when the husband that was living downstairs in the rich home comes literally crawling up the stairs yeah. on all fours. And his eyes, you see the whites of his eyes. Yeah, he's got creepy eyes. He has creepy eyes. I mean, the director talks about how he set this up. But it just, it signifies just some kind of animal or some kind of, you know, living downstairs. But he's flying up the stairs, like, almost like zombie style. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And if you notice, the window is actually a very significant symbol in the whole movie, too. So mm. if you look at the Kim family, they live in the semi-basement, right? So what that means is they're kind of half into the ground, but they're also half over the ground. And right. they have windows up top and they can see outside. That signifies a little bit of hope. And then when you come to the Park family's house, they have this massive window that looks out onto this very private, nicely kept yard with grass and things like that, which, by the way, is not very common in South Korea to have that kind of grass maintained like that. That's a real symbol of social status. And then what you see with this third family down in the basement, guess what's not there? No windows. And so in this place, when you meet this new guy, Gunsei is his name, he's not all there. He's almost half crazy. And eventually later, he goes full on crazy. But th this was already portraying the sort of, this guy has no hope. And in a lot of ways, he lost his humanity after being locked in this basement for so long without any windows or anything like that. And it really gives you this sense of, again, going back to the motif of stairs, that there's another level below. You get this idea in, I think, just in our, when somebody's in a social class, they always kind of see themselves as the bottom. And they're just trying to get up to this next social class. So it's this moment, you know, halfway through the film where you realize, no, there's lower social classes, even to the Kim family. And now all of a sudden we've got this, you know, layered cake of drama that just begins to spiral out of control. 
Yeah. And one one thing that I found really interesting is when we typically think of a movie or a TV show or a book that talks about the strife or the dynamic rather between uh, the wealthy and the poor, we spot the tension between the wealthy and the poor. But in this movie, what you also see is the tension between the poor themselves and uh, how everybody puts on this facade. That's one key thing I noticed is that everybody in the movie has some kind of a facade. So the Park family, they they have their facade. They actually seem pretty nice. You know, usually wealthy people are villainized in different movies, but in this movie, there there are no clear villains. And the Park family, even though they're wealthy, they're not villainized. They they do look down their nose at the poor people, and that does come out. They when they are talking with the Kim family or whatever, they sort of pretend like you know they're they're nicer and things like that. But then when they're by themselves, when they're talking, it's like they're kind of. They have this uh, looking down their nose kind of an attitude. Kim family, obviously, because they're a bunch of cons, you know, they, they've, they've got their facade. And the former housekeeper lady, if you remember at the beginning of the movie, when Kiyu first comes to the house, this former housekeeper is so kind of, you know, put together seemingly that he actually calls her madam. He thinks she's the lady of the house, but turns out she, she says, no, 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 I'm just a housekeeper, right? And later it turns out she had this facade all along. She is one of the poor that was just trying to, you know, keep her husband alive, that sort of thing. And then when they have this encounter, it's funny because the 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 mother of the Kim family, Chung Suk, she's like threatening to call the police and things like that, and she's lording it over this former housekeeper and her husband. And then when the former housekeeper manages to take a video of the Kim family kind of exposing their lies. Now they're lording it over the Kim family. And then another quick thing along the same lines is the Kim family's reaction to the guy that's peeing in the street, right? Same poor people, but especially when Gyu starts to kind of get accepted into this Park family, he actually takes that stone again as if to hurt this guy. Like there, there's this tension within the poor as well, and I found that really interesting. So the key thing that I really that really stood out to me is, even though there are no clear villains, as in many Western movies, right? You have the good guys and the bad guys, but in this movie, there are no clear villains. Everybody's broken, and even though there are no clear villains, something terrible happens. If people are basically good, how is this happening? Now, one of the ways that the director plays off of what you're getting at, Steve, that I thought was really well done, and I'm surprised Terry hasn't said anything yet, uh, so I've got to throw him a softball, (laughs) (laughs) is the director plays off of this throughout the whole movie with regards to Native Americans. And Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which, which is really... You know, playing off of the, and they're all at the in in the end, they've all, uh, they all have a different Native American, like whether it be the headdress or the tomahawk or the bow and arrow or the teepee that yeah. the sun stays in outside for the night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're they're playing off of this idea of, you know, here here all of them in in different ways uh, are are, you know doing their their own deceiving and their own oppressing. Mm. 
right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so you do get this sense of what you're getting at there, Steve. That there's, they're all really villains in the end. You know, they they they've all got their brokenness. But I, I did find it really interesting that there wasn't like this clear brokenness, like because I really was anticipating going into this with the classic. She, you know, wife's having an affair, or because, and you get this a couple times where um, the Kim father, right, asks, you know, are you in love with her? And, and he asks a couple times, but you love her, right? And and you know, and he's like, yeah, and and you do see this. The, the actually, the families actually, you know, have these. The, there is this connection in each of the families, uh, and and it, and it's not that classic, you know dysfunctional family it's it's more this dysfunctional social class uh which i i i found really interesting yeah dysfunctional social class is made up of dysfunctional people right nobody there is uh squeaky clean and if you notice there is that motif just like the the rock was a symbol of that aspiration for wealth right um, or the obsession or aspiration for wealth. Another motif that comes back is smell. Yeah, remember they yeah. they talk about. Remember that part about how you know. So all the whole Kim family is now hired on by the Park family, and they're kind of keeping up this ruse. And the Park family has no idea that they're actually family. They think they're all separate individuals that got hired on. And so, by the way, so then the Kim family becomes a real parasite, right? Feeding off of the wealthy. Now, there is that one scene where the son actually comes and smells Gitek's, the Kim father's sleeve. And then he runs over to Chung-suk, the mother of the Kim family, and starts smelling her. And he points out they smell the same. right? And then when the whole Kim family goes back to their semi-basement home, they start talking about how, you know, maybe we should use separate laundry soap and all that kind of stuff. And what Gijong, the daughter of the Kim family, points out is, no, that's just, that's the smell of basically of poverty. You know, it's the basement smell. And if we're going to get rid of that smell, we have to get out of here. We need to leave this place, which is very symbolic. So the smell is very symbolic of their socioeconomic status as impoverished people. And that comes back later when the whole Kim family, they were having this party and then it gets basically kiboshed, right? And so the Park family unexpectedly returns from the camping trip and now they're all hiding under this table in the living room. All three of them. The mother is the playing the housekeeper, so she's kind of freely roaming about. But the uh, Park family the the mother and the, the father they're now sleeping on the couch and they get to hear their insider conversation and they talk about how they have this smell i can't really describe it it's the smell of that that i sometimes uh smelled in the subway which by the way is very uh symbolic of your average person right because rich people have their cars and they drive everywhere on their own but every citizens rely on the subway. And then the wife actually comments about, oh yeah, um, I haven't gone on a subway in such a long time. I have no idea what it smells like. All right, so again, a very kind of subtle hint uh, at their wealth kind of thing. And so the Kim family's under the table and they're just getting hit, jabs at their social status. And you see Gitek getting really nervous and smelling his shirt. And then at the end, when there's this, big explosive violence breaking out, what 
makes the Kim father go over the edge is when the Park father, right, is yelling at uh, his driver, the Kim father, just throw me the darn key, right, to his Benz, right? And he finally throws the key, but it doesn't quite reach the Park father. Instead, it gets crushed under Gunsei, the guy who's gone completely nutbar, right? And the Park father comes, pushes Gunsei away to grab the key, but in doing that, he smells something, right? And he really grabs his nose and he's really disgusted by it. And that's when you see the Kim father completely lose it. That's what makes him go over the edge. It's that smell that comes back, realizing I am never going to be wealthy like Park. And you see a little foreshadowing of that when Gyu is just kind of looking on from his student's room at the birthday party going on, one of the things that he says, again, this is after the flood, and he is kind of starting to lose it too. And one of the things that he says is, do I fit here? Do I belong here? And in that violence that ensues, the answer is, no, you don't, and you will never be part of this class kind of thing. And that's what really makes them go over the edge. Well, hey, as we wrap this up, uh, just last comment, the, the film ends where it begins, which apparently... With this director, this is a common way that he will wrap up a, a film or leave you in this really, I think, interesting realism, right? That everything doesn't have this happy ending. Reality still sucks in the end. The social class still exists in the end. And he's back in the, in the Kim family. And he, you know, because he kind of snaps out of this daydream. And you realize that, yeah, you know, reality is difficult and it's not as simple as, as you think it is. And even when we were in South Korea, you, you do get that sense. You know, these are complicated issues and there isn't easy answers uh, to how all this gets solved. And it go, really goes back to what you're saying there, Steve, in, in the heart of the gospel, that people are fundamentally broken and there is this need for heart transformation. This is something that's not going to take place through money. And this breaking of social class is one of the aspects that I think is, is truly powerful of the gospel, that we, it, through the gospel, can see that our, that our brokenness is equal, that our, and our need for salvation is great, and begins to change the way that you see yourself which begins to change the way that you see other people. And so, as we end this podcast, we hope that we've given you something to think about with regards to this film. It is quite thought-provoking, and yet at the same time, I think it's an interesting commentary of what's going on in this pandemic that we find ourselves in, that the social class that we find ourselves in, and yet as Christians how that can be divided. All the stairways from the very bottom to the very top can be in many ways transcended through the gospel in all of our need for Christ, all of our need for salvation, all of our need to be able to see one another correctly. Thank you for joining us, listeners. The AC Podcast is the Ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll come back next week with more things to think about. 